Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadjassad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. Now, if this is the first time you're listening to our podcast, Ben and I, we're a pair of automotive journalists. Yes, indeed. We're going to be talking to you about some pretty cool cars, of course. But first, let me just plug some of the publications that Ben has been writing for recently. Ben, talk to me about some of these people that you've been writing for. Uh, Let's go with Super Street Magazine, Motor Trend, and Automobile Magazine. Those are all stellar publications, and uh, all of Ben's work in there is always top class. Me, on the other hand, you'll find my crummy work at autoguide.com, as well as as autotrader.ca, where that's the good stuff recently. Uh, You'll also find me on their YouTube channels as well, which is pretty cool. But this week, let's get to the cars. I drove a brand new Porsche Cayenne. (laughs) Okay, you know I haven't driven a pod. I have not driven a Cayenne in a long time. So you're gonna have to fill me in on what it's like. Okay, remember when you first drove in 2017? It's a lot like that. Ooh, I do remember actually. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, I, I I've liked the Cayenne for a long time because it does a lot of things well and it's quite comfortable from what I remember. But there's been a lot going on in the industry since you said 2017. Yeah. So, so- tell me how it compares now to the rest of the crop. This is actually the biggest issue with the Cayenne. Uh, It's really not a bad car. In fact, it wasn't that long ago that the Cayenne was kind of seen as the um, benchmark and the top vehicle in this segment, which is this kind of mid-sized SUV segment. Not quite three rows, not quite a compact, right in the the middle. So two rows of comfortable seating. It's it's mid-sized. Why why are you making it weird? Like not quite a compact, not quite three rows, not quite two rows. <laughs> a little bit country, a little bit rock and roll. Exactly. Um, and I always enjoyed recommend. I, I would always recommend the Cayenne as well as say a Lexus RX, depending on the person I'm talking to. I mean, if they're a little bit more luxury oriented, I think a Lexus is probably the right vehicle. Wait, your, and your, your go tos are polar opposites of the luxury world. Exactly. I okay. mean, exactly. Doesn't that make sense? To me, the Cayenne was fun to drive. It was high end. It was pretty high tech. It looked good. Um, and it was a pretty decent price, and it made you feel special when you drove it because it got this beautiful Porsche badge. And on the other hand, the Lexus was also pretty high-tech. It was much more affordable but very luxurious, and they added all the new styling to it, which either you like or you didn't like. It was also incredibly reliable. Like, that was the point of it, right? Yeah. Those were the two, those were the two extremes. Now, I, I find myself not recommending either of them, which I think is one of the funniest things that have happened in the past uh, couple of years. But now the Cayenne just seems a little dated and less interested than some of its core rivals, the Mercedes-Benz GLE, which I talked about last week, as well as the BMW X5, which we talked about a lot in this uh, on this pub- podcast. We definitely have. So it's not that the Cayenne is bad, and I drove a pretty base version of the vehicle, which means it has a 3-liter turbocharged V6, it has 335 horsepower, 332 pound-feet of torque, uh, and it does 0 to 60 in about 6.2 seconds. Um, it's not a bad vehicle. It just could be better, especially now looking at uh, all these other rivals in the segment. And there's so some things what, that what, have really bugged me about the car. I'll, yeah, I'll get that's what I'm going to ask. It's like, you know, you say it could be better. Those, those numbers, they sound very middle of the road. Exactly. Uh, and it's is it really that the Cayenne is a vehicle that hasn't kept up? Or is it just a vehicle that... You're surprised is in the middle of the road, given the fact that it's a Porsche. Okay, maybe I'm more surprised because in the past, first of all, when the Cayenne first debuted, um, I don't think 
people were ready for what it did, which was bring Porsche into the mainstream uh, or more mainstream than they've been before. Um, and when they did show up, they really did a good job with the Cayenne. If uh, if I'm recalling correctly, I might have rose-colored glasses here. But I do recall that when the Cayenne debuted, we were all pretty much blown away by it. And by we, I mean um, critics. And the next generation model followed up on that. And then we're now somewhere through this this current generation model where it doesn't feel as special as it used to be. It didn't feel like it was leading the charge um, the way it used to. And I, I mean, that's just my that's just my take over the past few years. Is that because of the engine in the model that you drove? Like if you were driving a Turbo S, would it feel different? If you were driving a Sport Hybrid, would it feel different? I've, I haven't driven a, a, a Turbo in a while. I've driven a Cayenne S and again, I felt that it wasn't, um, it just wasn't the same. Yes, it has a great motor. It was pretty quick. But there's just other things about the car that you just don't feel as as coddled or, or special as you would in a GLE or a BMW uh, X5. So, for example, the interior, first of all, has a really neat um, gauge cluster, including these configurable um, pods that uh, are two screens that you can scroll through. It looks pretty high-end, but in comparison to the full digital gauge clusters that you get in both a BMW, in a Mercedes, even in some Audis, um, that look really impressive, the the Cayenne's one looks a little limit, uh, limiting now, right? I wouldn't know. I haven't been in it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, then there's the infotainment system, and I know that we've talked about um, the MBUX being a little bit gimmicky with its um, its voice recognition system, or uh, BMW has the same thing with uh, its iDrive. You know, you say, uh, I can't remember what it is, hey, BMW, or something like that. Yeah, plus um, the gesture controls. And the gesture controls. So there's all these really, you know, unique features to those. I feel like the infotainment system in the Porsche Cayenne has also um, fallen behind. Additionally, they've changed the design in the recent um, generation, the current generation, of the center console. And where there used to be a button soup, there's now all of these, like, capacitive buttons it's just a Ooh. it's just a piano black um not even piano black um flat panel that you have to press on now the issue isn't exactly with that because that works perfectly but in sunlight in certain light not even sunlight you can see features that you don't have so you're saying that like as bef- whereas before there would just be blacked out buttons now it yeah. just kind of like lurk I can below see the, the suspension surface. yeah I can see the 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 cutout for the suspension settings and the cutout for the e hybrid version of the car which I don't have and you can like not if you press on them you don't activate some hidden feature of your Cayenne it's just there and I find that absolutely infuriating I I mean now I'm constant the blank buttons you can kind of ignore but now I feel like I'm looking at this blank panel and being like oh yeah I didn't get the fancy version of that Cayenne what is wrong with your life Sammy <laughs> that you can't be at the level that this car is urging you to be at I you know what it is you know how it is I can't. I'm not. I'm just not living the Ben Hunting automobile super street life. I'm just so, living middling street life. So the cabin is not up to par. What Absolutely about the driving not. experience? Driving experience is still very Porsche-like, which I think is important to bring up. This is what you now buy the Cayenne for, for the Porsche experience. It has extremely heavy and responsive steering for uh, an SUV. The powertrain, um, although not as immediate as the other vehicles, which now have 48-volt mild hybrid systems and can feel a little bit uh, more responsive because they have this extra boot in, in, in the low range, it doesn't feel as great in that regard, but it does sound pretty good. Um, and the ride is pretty firm to be um, 
to be like simple about it. Um, I never felt that it was a luxury car on the road. It really? felt now more like um, the sportier option. But then as a result, ends up feeling a little bit less refined. That's interesting because, you know, you're driving a fairly base model, which typically isn't as sporty or, no. you know, isn't necessarily being marketed to people who want the sporty car. No, no. So, I mean, it's not exactly well, – I'm not trying to say sporty. I'm just saying it's it's firm and still, you know, responsive in the way that a Cayenne would be. So who who's buying this? Who are they expecting to buy this? Who, who do you think – now that Porsche has – obviously, they feel that this vehicle is sufficient or they wouldn't mm-hmm. be marketing it. But who is it sufficient for? I mean, who is the person who's going to choose this over an X5 or the GLE that we talked about last week? Now you're buying it, I think, for the brand recognition that uh, Porsche has has gained over the past few years and the past generations of the Cayenne, um, which I think is a bit of a shame. I, I, I do think that this is a lull for the, for the nameplate. Um, and I can see this being um, finding favor with people who do want a more engaging drive than, say, the X5 or even the GLE, because all the other vehicles in the segment are absolutely bores to drive. Uh, unless you like gimmicky high-tech features. And the Cayenne doesn't have those, so that's what you'd be going for. So it's interesting because, you know, when the Cayenne came out, you were talking about earlier, it was it was unique in the sense that, yes, it was Porsche's first SUV, but it also came with things like a low-range transfer case, mm-hmm. and it had legitimate off-road capability, and you could take it on a track. So it, it basically tried to do everything. And then they realized they didn't need to do that. They kind of took out some of the more hardcore off-road aspects of it, although it's still fairly capable. Yeah, and and all, the other, all the other cars have started doing that, too. And now we're at the point where there are so many different high-performance SUVs out there that just being a high-performance SUV is no longer enough of a differentiator, right? Yeah, I mean, you put it in such a in, in a way that sounds like dismissive of the of the criticism, but no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm saying this to support your criticism, which <laughs> okay. is which I think is what you're saying is this vehicle no longer feels special. Yeah, I and and this is a car that will dem- ask uh, a pretty high amount of money and uh, a nameplate that's supposed to be special, and I don't think you're getting that. You know, it's it's to segue into the vehicles that I'm going to talk about, and I'm I'm, mm-hmm. I'm bringing them up a little early because I think that it's it, there's a common thread that links all of these together. Uh, there are so many high performance SUVs now, and there's not just high performance SUVs. There's gradations of high performance SUVs. You can get right. from BMW, you can get a full M versions of their SUVs, but you can also get lowercase M versions of the M mm-hmm. performance cars. Yeah. Uh, you can get S line versions of Audis, and you can get. Uh, RS or QS or whatever they're even SQ I think it's called there's there's so much going on the only automaker that's not yet gone full bore is Lexus with their F Sport vehicles and let's be let's be thankful that they haven't and Cadillac Cadillac hasn't done it either oh right I thought an XT 6V is on the way. Who knows? But um, or a XT4V? I can't remember. XT4V. That. That's, uh, that just rolls Four. off the tongue and right into right into the the dealership. Um, <laughs> so I, I drove a pair of in the last couple of weeks. I've driven a pair of high performance SUVs back to back, and you know all the stuff you're saying about the Cayenne. It really got it's it's really got me thinking about the vehicles I drove because one of them. Uh, the Alfa Romeo Quadrifoglio, sorry, the Alfa Romeo Stelvio Quadrifoglio, there's a lot of vowels there. Yeah, yeah. Is, it's such a kind of a weirdo in the sense that it's it's doing the same thing that the Cayenne used to do. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's coming at the performance SUV angle completely differently from what mm-hmm. most automakers do. And then I also drove the Mercedes-Benz, or sorry, Mercedes-AMG GLC 63S, which is... yeah. I just want to note that you can't buy the GLC 63S in the United States. You can buy the coupe version 
in S form, but the regular GLC is 63 only. I don't know why Canada right. gets the extra 50 horsepower or so that comes with it, uh, but you can. So it, it drives almost exactly the same as the coupe. There's, there's no real difference, so it's not important. But uh, this is a vehicle that has – it has its own unique approach to the market that's completely different But um, th- than the Alfa Romeos. But it's kind of like the Cayenne is – the Cayenne's become a bit of an institution and as a result, these upstarts have popped up and they're all doing their own thing. And I think that's kind of throwing the Cayenne into relief in a certain way. That is one heck of a thread you've pulled. Um, I, don't, I don't follow it completely, but I do find that these cars are – I do agree with you. There's so many degra- degradations of or, or degrees of um, performance SUVs that really waters down the whole experience. And also, they're getting more and more expensive, and I and I don't understand where these people are getting the money for such cars. Am I am I losing it? Am I out of touch with reality? Or Sammy, or if you don't own six Cayennes, then you're not doing it right. <laughs> That's right. So, okay, what are you going to start with when it comes to these uh, compact, high performance? Um, SUVs. I'm going to start with the Stelvio because I did not like the Giulia Quadrifoglio. And again, uh, on a previous podcast, I, I mentioned how I'm the only journalist who wasn't into the, folk, the Fiesta ST. I'm the only journalist who's not into the Giulia Quadrifoglio. Um, I found it to be a, a very peaky car. The, mm-hmm. the twin turbo 2.9 liter V6, which generates 505 horsepower. It, the power comes on very high and very high in the uh, RPM range very quickly. Uh, you The way the car is set up, you can't, you either can have all of the driver's aids on or all of them off. <laughs> There's like no middle ground. So it's either crazy or kind of weird when you have the, the pedal floored. And uh, I, I'm not really into crazy. These so much these days, yeah. so I, I just wasn't very much into that vehicle. So when when they announced they were making a Stelvio, which is their uh, SUV entry level SUV, they were going to make a, a Quadrifoglio version that had the same drivetrain as the Giulia. I was kind of nervous about it because I don't really like the base Stelvio. I find that the interior and the features lag the rest of the pack. Um, a lot of people like the styling. I can take it or leave it, but I think that that's basically how it was attracting in buyers it, it looks very italian very different and uh when i got the keys to the quadrifoglio i was like what is, it? is this just going to be a repeat of the julia experience sammy yeah. have you driven this vehicle uh n- no i haven't sorry i'm thinking about it but i i've driven the julia quadrifoglio and i found that to be kind of interesting but i've driven it and i've driven a normal normal stelvio but not the the version you have okay so um the good news is Adding all-wheel drive to that peaky drivetrain smooths out so many of the problems that I had with the Julia. Okay. It, it it feels a lot more controlled. It doesn't feel nearly as like the surge of power at the top of the rev range is going to flip the car over and set everything on fire. Um, and it has wide enough tires and enough traction that it's reasonably nimble out on the road. I mean, it would be a huge stretch to call it fun to drive. I don't really think any SUV is fun to drive from a traditional performance standpoint, but it was very, very quick. And I was able to over the interior is over the top in this vehicle. And I'll explain what I mean by that. The car comes with optional carbon fiber front bucket seats. (laughs) 
I don't know why you'd put that in a thousands and thousands and thousands of pounds of SUV platform. Like you're saving, I don't know, 50 pounds there maybe. It's ultimately – you won't – you know, it's in the wash. You're not going to notice that the weight yeah. savings these seats give you. And you don't get power adjustment or heating seats or anything like that. So you're giving up a lot to get these. Um, but it's definitely a conversation piece, especially when the passenger behind you is banging their knees on the hard carbon fiber. But uh, I took it on a road trip, a weekend road trip, and I was able to put all my luggage and gear and stuff that we bought along the way. And it was practical, and it got a lot of attention. People are into the styling, and uh, it was it was pretty good out on the highway, and it got reasonable fuel mileage. So I was kind of overall impressed with the package, Sammy. That is impressive, actually. That's so bizarre. I would not have expected that, mainly because uh, I wasn't a huge fan of the regular Stelvio. I found it to be kind of... Uh, bland. Me I mean, too. it looked kind of neat, but that was it. I'm right yeah. there with you. And the interior as well wasn't impressive enough. The exterior didn't really do a lot, and the drivetrain and driving dynamics just didn't matter. So now you're telling me they put this high horsepower engine in it, um, and everything got fixed. Yeah, you can overlook the fact that the infotainment screen is tiny and hard to control and set kind of far away from the driver. And you can overlook the fact that um, it might not be reliable. <laughs> I, I haven't heard of the same reliability problems with the Stelvio as they had with the Julia, But it, seeing as it's the same drivetrain, I'm a little nervous about that. But it... it it did fix most of the issues I had with it. Uh, it's still $80,000, which is a lot of money for a truck. Um, but you won't see very many of them on the road, which is kind of nice. Uh, there are certain performance SUVs that feel like wallpaper at this point, but the Stelvio yeah. is not one of them. So uh, that's that's another bonus if you're into being different. And if you're buying an Alfa Romeo, you're probably one of those people who you know prizes the being different. Right. Um, okay, so how fast is this thing again? Sorry, I... I... It's really I'm, fast. It's like it's 505 horsepower. Uh, in terms of its zero to 60 time, I believe it's under four seconds. Wow. Which is, which what? Absolutely crazy. <laughs> okay. uh, I will double check that number for you now. But uh, it did it feel that fast? It did feel very quick. Um, it's it's very quick in all situations, whether off the line or you're passing on the highway or whatever. It's it's uh, you feel like it's 505 horsepower. But as I pointed out, it doesn't feel crazy out of control like the uh, Julia did. Okay, and that's because all-wheel drive. Yeah, three point three seconds, Sammy. What? Are you kidding me? No, that's as fast as um, the next anything week. as it, anything. But I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you so that a lot of people also like to make a big deal as an aside about that engine having been originally developed by Ferrari. Uh, yeah. So if that's, <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> if that's your thing, then you'll get that with the Alpha Two. But uh, three point three seconds is quick. That is exactly as fast as the 503 horsepower GLC 63S, which does it in a totally different way with a, uh, I think it's a 4.0 liter twin turbo V8. Uh, it's a, it sounds crazy. It has just a, a really great snarl. Um, it has all-wheel drive, obviously, like the like the Alfa Romeo, but it just has a different character. It's more of a big, bruising kind of vehicle, even though it's not much bigger physically. It feels, uh, I don't know, like the bodybuilder versus the athlete that the Alfa Romeo is. Okay. And, and uh, I think that um, in terms of performance, it's really hard to declare a winner. I had issues with the transmission in the Mercedes-Benz, especially on cold starts. And right. the transmission, it, it would just – the gear changes felt jerky. 
Like, yeah. not smooth whatsoever. It's a nine-speed automatic versus, I believe, an eight-speed in the Alfa Romeo. And it just... I've never experienced this in another AMG vehicle, so I was very surprised by that behavior. Sammy, have you driven this this truck before? Yeah, I've driven the GLC 63 um, Coupe. And I remember the exact same issues with the drivetrain, with the uh, the transmission in particular. And it was such a shame because I loved everything about this car, except for um, occasionally coming down to um, a reasonable speed, like in, in town or something like that, hitting the brakes, slowing down for a stop sign or, or a... Uh, a traffic uh, light or even a roundabout, the car would like really act so oddly when it came to downshifting um, and then getting back up to speed. There was a lot of hesitation, not a little bit of hesitation, but a lot of hesitation that completely ruined the whole experience for me. And I'm wondering if those are the same experiences you had or if things are a little bit more refined or no I, I didn't notice the downshifting as much but definitely off the line um even sometimes after it warmed up it was not smooth whatsoever very different from what you would expect from a standard mercedes vehicle uh so that Machine. was i didn't have any of those issues with the alfa romeo so i kind of have to tip the tip the overall ex- driving experience to the alfa even though i really really like the v8 in the mercedes and how it and how it sounds but in terms of the interior I think Mercedes AMG just kind of blows Alfa Romeo away. It's it's, it's much more um, the, the the features are just better presented. There's a the materials feel higher quality. I think there's a somewhat more room in the rear seat, and it's just a, a better overall package. I think mm-hmm. uh, it's it's pretty easy to. It, one thing that's nice about and we'll talk about this on a future podcast, but. Mercedes kind of strikes this middle ground between the super crazy Porsche and BMW, I guess you would call them performance interfaces, where there's all sorts of buttons and switches and stuff that you have to activate in order to get the full performance of the vehicle, and kind of the simplicity of the Alfa Romeo setup, which is like all on or all off. So with Mercedes, it feels very reasonable. If if you want to... If you want the truck to be loud and you want it to have really quick shifts, you can do that simply and easily. If you just want to drive it as normal, you can do that too. Uh, And it's not complex. So I appreciated that about AMG. Okay. Well, hold up. Um, I thought I remember a new version of the GLC 63 to come with this weird uh, extra dial on the the steering wheel, kind of like the new C-Class has it. Did yours have this feature? No, it doesn't have that. Uh, With the different, like, drive modes or, or... um, attraction control settings. Okay, that must be either an, a, an additional feature or something coming down the line. I don't think it's something that's coming for this vehicle because uh, this is the new version of the vehicle and mm. I'm just struggling to... I'm looking at photos right now in case they went crazy and think of it, but no, that there's nothing like that. The weirdest okay. part of the steering wheel on the GLC, and this is something that's not cool, is the um, the cruise control stock is like First of all, it's a stock. Almost every vehicle now has cruise control buttons on the steering wheel because mm. you have things like adaptive cruise, so you need to be able to set the distance that you're following and all that fun stuff. This is a stock that's hidden at the bottom left behind the spokes of the wheel. It's really hard to see, and it's almost impossible to see while you're driving when you're trying to set the speed or the following distance, and it's not obvious how to do that. And I was really surprised by that part of the vehicle interface so all the cool stuff i said about how easy it is to access the drive modes is kind of balanced out by this feature you're probably going to be using a lot but is going to be somewhat frustrating to get the hang of okay um that's that's all well and good so you're telling me that this glc 
um, which has been done before. Uh, it's not the first time a GLC is coming out. It's it's been outdone, out refined by this Alfa Romeo, which I think is really um, impressive, to be honest, about what Alfa Romeo can can do in the segment. Yeah, right? I I think it's. They're two, they're two very different ways of doing the same thing, and I think one of them is smoother and more refined, as you pointed out. I, is it better? I don't know, because on balance, I like the Mercedes drivetrain more, drivetrain more, but I don't like that transmission. I guess it's safer to say I like the Mercedes engine more. Oh, man, I absolutely love the sound of that engine, and uh, the power delivery is really good when the transmission is cooperating, but that... The fact that both of you and I have had issues with this transmission does not bode well for the for the vehicle. It just doesn't. I can't recommend it. Um, it sounds like a very uh, common worry. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, it seems like the kind of thing, though, that they're going to have to take uh, – if it's happened to you and it's happened to me, it sounds like something that they're going to have to address either with a software update or perhaps a, a reflash or something to do with that transmission controller. Very cool. Um Anything? Would you take either of these cars on track? I mean, no. is that what they're meant to do? No, they're not meant to do that. They so, they they can do it, and again, they're capable, but not fun. So yeah, it's it's. What is the deal with this? Right? It's status. It's the ability to say I have the most powerful this. I have the most powerful that. It's also fun to hammer on that throttle and do sixty in three point three seconds. That's crazy. Like that's really really quick. It is. It is. And it's even crazier that it's in this big truck. So the fact that you can do that 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 part is fun. But like you know, going through a corner and like being all out on a racetrack, it's not something that would be enjoyable in in a vehicle like this. That the center of gravity is wrong. The weight is wrong. It's not. It's not intended to engage you as a driver. It's intended to impress you, and I think it does a fairly good job of doing that. And you're never going to reach the limits of these vehicles on the street uh, mm-hmm. unless you're doing something totally crazy. Absolutely. Um, what else can we add about these two cars before we we close up the the show? Um, I, I think it's you know we're we're reaching peak performance SUV. It's hard yeah. to think of. 500 horsepower seems to be standard now in this segment. There's so many yep. different vehicles that have at least that amount amount of power available. That's mm-hmm. really this is eighty thousand dollars roughly. That, that's really crazy. If you think of where we were ten years ago, that we were nowhere near 500 horsepower trucks in the compact segment, and they're so common now. So I don't know where we go next because I don't really think there's an appetite for 700 horsepower versions of these trucks, and. Well, we're getting there. I mean, the Grand Cherokee Trackhawk has 700 horsepower. But the Trackhawk is a huge outlier. That is, yeah. these are not outliers. These are the kind of vehicles where I, someone walks into the, the dealership and says, I want the best GLC money can buy, and they come yeah. home with this. It's not because they're going to take it to a track. It's because they want the best they can get in that. That's the same reason the X6M exists too. I Which mean, is, all, I think, 600 horsepower now all, coming into. All these vehicles soak up cash. And they mm-hmm. do it effectively. So I don't think that they're going to be better at soaking up cash if they're 700, 800 horsepower. I think at a certain point, it's diminishing returns. But who knows where marketing is going to take us. Okay, but this is why we do what we do. There's one reason you can go into the dealership and say, I want the best GLC money you can buy. And you get this 
this jerky, this thing that slams into gears that doesn't respond to gear changes or throttle inputs. And I wouldn't recommend that, right? Like you and no. me would not say that's the best choice for your money. No, but um, I, I think that there's going to be compromises no matter which high-performance SUV you uh, you select because unlike a car, you're asking these drivetrains to do things with a whole bunch more weight than they're used to. Yeah. And when you add that kind of weight and an all-wheel drive system, you start to reach certain mechanical realities and those are going to manifest themselves. Usually it's in situations where the vehicle is being asked to perform at its at its highest level. Uh, but strangely enough, in the, in the AMG, when I set it to sport mode, the transmission smoothed out. So I don't know what's going on there. And I mean, it is a different, it's a completely different experience when we talked about the non-high performance version of these cars where the the Stelvio was really unimpressive. But I I have no issues recommending a GLC to people. Um, I think it's a very good luxury-oriented compact crossover. Yeah, so and, it, the AMG just in many ways makes it better. It's it's more more of more. You know, that's yeah. kind of the philosophy for these vehicles uh, because they can they can create this horsepower. So why not? You know, so people are buying it. Very cool. Um, what else is in this segment? We've got the X3M X3M competition, Sammy. Oh, whoops! That what is you, what is sorry? What's the 500 horsepower that you need to join this club. Okay. Uh, there's also the Jaguar um, F-Pace SBR, which is 550 horsepower okay. from a supercharged V8, although it is 0 to 60 in 4.1 seconds. So I don't get how it has more power, but it's a lot slower. That's a mystery for the ages. No. If the number starts with a four on the zero to sixty time, I don't like it. It, <laughs> it just isn't there. <laughs> and uh, I don't know how fast the SQ five is. Um, that's okay. a, that's a, that's a mystery to me. But uh, I mean, there's just that's that by itself. That's a huge group. That's four or five of these five hundred horsepower yeah. compact crossovers, which seems crazy. Which I mean, you can also get a non S version of the GLC sixty three, I believe. Yeah, um, it's and I, I don't know if the comp. I think it's 469 horsepower. And I don't know if the com- there's a non-competition version of the... X3M? Uh, yeah. I do not know, but I think so. Okay. So you Actually, got yes, options. There is, there is for the X3M and the X4M. That blows my mind, Ben. It blows my mind that there are... Um, let's talk about some of the most popular vehicles in the world, like, say, uh, a Corolla or a Civic. Um, and there's only so few engine options on those cars. Uh, or transmission options on those cars. And then you've got the GLC, which has uh, three, 300, uh, 43, 63, 63S. Um, and I think that's very... I and in Europe, so numerous diesel models, I'm sure. Yeah. But it's, it's because... Well, not to mention hybrid versions, too. They're so profitable. I mean, SUVs yeah. are very profitable. So a, a Corolla, is, it's hard to, t- to make a lot of money on. If you make an extra cool version of the car... You're not going to do high volume on that cool version necessarily, but even if you do do high volume on it, the profits still aren't going to be there. So it makes more sense for them to invest in the top of their lineup. And I guess they're also playing on the sort of emotional appeal that a Mercedes badge has over people. Like it, it is, the, there's just a magnetism to sure that the brand, right? Sure. Very cool, Ben. What's the scoop now? We, the let's, scoop, close, let's close the, it all up now. The scoop now is uh, if you want to get in touch with us and ask us questions about the vehicles we've talked about, make suggestions as to what we should be talking about on the podcast, or just kind of uh, let us know how you're feeling because we're always up for that. You can reach us in a number of ways. The easiest way is probably if if you're on the website, unnamedautomotivepodcast.com, there's a contact form you can fill out, and that goes right to our inbox. Or you can find us on social media. Sammy is on Twitter where you can find him at Sam. 
Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing. Or mm-hmm. you can find me on Instagram at HuntingBenjamin. Or you can email me, Benjamin, at BenjaminHunting.com. Very cool. Now, for next week's episode of the podcast, Ben, I'm very excited to talk to you about the Tokyo Motor Show. That's Ooh. where I'm going next. So I can't wait to come back and tell you about all the crazy things I've seen while I'm over in Japan. What about you, Ben? What are you going to be talking about? I'm going to be talking about what it's like to live with a 797-horsepower Dodge SRT, uh, Dodge Challenger SRT Hellcat Red Eye for a week. Okay, very cool. And that'll, that'll be an interesting talk after the one we did about the new Charger wide body too if there's any differences there so people can go back listen to our old episode and then come right back and join us to talk about some hellcats again (laughs) all right thanks so uh once again thank you everyone for listening and we hope you're back with us next week bye